0: Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. This show is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our good Bishop, a canon lawyer, here to talk about the legal profession and red masses. Are you up for a a lawyer joke? Sure. A man is in an interrogation room and says, I'm not saying a word without my lawyer present. The policeman says, you are the lawyer. The lawyer replied, exactly. So where's my present? (laughs) Oh, that's kind of a kind (laughs) lawyer lawyer joke. It took me a long time to find. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. I actually, I have a a second one that's even more appropriate that I'll save for the end of the show. Oh, good. It's a a religious lawyer joke. Okay,
1: not a canon lawyer necessarily. Uh, No, no. Because that would be good for Father Gertner and Father Runyon and Father Francis to have, and Father Wimmel, are canon lawyers, that would be good. So find a canon law joke next time.
0: Okay, okay. (laughs) Uh, So that's a lot of canon lawyers. Is that normal in a diocese to have that many? I'd say,
1: yeah, yeah, it's good. Father David Violi is still in training for that? No, I I should have mentioned Father David because he just, well, he hasn't gotten his degree, but he's very close. okay. Yes.
0: Very good. And then we have some lay people that are also canon lawyers
1: in the diocese. We do. And Therese Stevens is a a canon lawyer who's Mm -hmm. worked in our tribunal, although she's over in Rome working on her doctorate in canon law. Oh,
0: okay. So the Red Mass, I know we've talked about this in the past. I can't remember, though, why it's called the Red Mass.
1: Because it's a votive mass of the Holy Spirit, so that's always... You know, red is the vestment that we wear when we celebrate Masses of the Holy Spirit, like we wear on Pentecost Sunday. Also, it was the red robes of the legal profession oh, okay. back in the 13th century when red masses began. And even today, in many countries, the judge wears a red robe. And so, who all is this for? It's for those who serve in the legal profession. So, it includes judges, lawyers paralegals, anyone who works in the legal profession, also includes professors of law, law students, law school students. And it's been expanded to also include public officials, you know, civic officials, those who hold elected office. And St. Thomas More is the patron saint, not only of those in the legal profession, but also of public officials. Hmm. That was an addition that St. John Paul II made and what a great model he is for all who serve in these professions. For those that don't know his story, why do you say that? Well, he was the chancellor of England, so and he was top lawyer in the country and judge and a political leader. I mean, he was the chancellor. He was number two to the king, <laughs> and he was faithful to his conscience, and he would not sign the Oath of Supremacy, which recognized the, the king as the head of the church, And for that, he was imprisoned and ultimately beheaded. So he's a very courageous martyr. He wouldn't violate his conscience, even though the great majority of people, even bishops, signed the oath of supremacy. St. John Fisher, great bishop, and St. Thomas More, layman, husband and father, would not. And he's a great mind as well. He wrote many things. He's a great humanist in the best sense of the word, a Christian humanist, He wrote the famous book, Utopia. And also we have a lot of other spiritual writings that he has. So he's a great model.
0: So as a canon lawyer yourself, do you have a particular draw or attraction to the legal profession?
1: A little. I mean, I kind of like political science and I have an interest in law, but I would say I have a greater interest in theology. Yeah. And so my advanced degrees are in canon law and theology. Theology, because well, I actually asked the bishop to allow me to complete my deg- my uh, licentiate degree in theology. When he asked me to study, get a license in canon law, of course I wasn't going to say no. But he did allow me then to do the license, finish the license in theology before starting canon law. So I was grateful for that because that's I have more of a theological mind. I think.
0: Well, how much I guess, and the difference between canon law and on what do you call it, secular law? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, or, I mean, there canon a theolo- law is the
1: law of the church. I mean, it's a lot of it's based on Roman law, but you know, you can also see the background of American law in Roman law, but especially English common law, and English common law is also influenced by canon law. So, canon law had a great influence on law in the modern age. When you really think about it, we could get into all that history. Mm-hmm. We had courses on that. So there's an intersection. I mean, you don't see that so much today as far as the functioning of, you know, with the with the clear separation of church and state. But but there are times where the state does recognize the authority of our canon law when it comes to our internal operations. Mm-hmm.
0: Is there more
1: theology or maybe even any theology embedded in canon law? For sure. Because Canon law is the law of the church so it has to be in accord with ecclesiology which is the church's teachings about the church mm-hmm. the theology of the church so therefore for example the hierarchical structure of the church and the the various relationships between the bishop and the faithful and bishops and priests and there's a book of canon law that has to do with consecrated life in the church another Another book that has to do with the people of God, and that includes the Pope and the cardinals, the bishops, the priests, the deacons. So all of that you can see, especially the teachings of the Second Vatican Council, as foundational for the law of the church.
0: What do you think are some of the challenges that those that are in the legal profession are are facing
1: these days? I think... You know, one of the things is, you know, in some ways uh, law has become a big business and hmm. at least in some quarters, and that can present its challenges, especially for someone who wants to maintain a strong family life, et cetera. And, and some of the pressures can be too much. Uh, the profit motive has entered in. And I'm not saying that in as a sweeping generalized statement, but lawyers have told me how mm-hmm. how that is challenging for them. And yet, as a Catholic lawyer, for example, one is to exercise the profession, not only with justice and equity, of course, that's fundamental, but also called to, for example, do some work pro bono for those who do not have the means Mm -hmm. to pay for a lawyer, things like that. It's really a very noble profession, I believe. And yet, because of human weakness, sometimes, you know, we, we know about you know, abuses by certain lawyers, et cetera. But many of the lawyers I know, especially the Catholic lawyers I know, their faith is really integral to their lives. Mm -hmm. And therefore, um, they have great concern for their clients. Um, They, uh, yeah, sometimes they work long hours, maybe too long. Mm -hmm. And that balance can be difficult, as it could be for a doctor or someone else who has a lot of hours. And to be guided by one's moral values to not... Do things that would contradict our Christian calling and our, our Christian responsibilities, not to lie, for example, not to necessarily be involved in cases that would compromise one's moral integrity. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's for judges? A diff- it's more challenging, even. But hmm. I'll t- I talked to my red mass homily about the natural law and 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 the importance of observing the natural law, the divine law written in our hearts and sometimes that's challenging more for judges because sometimes civil law can contradict the divine and natural right. law.
0: Do you think it's any different now than say 10, 20 years ago?
1: Yes, I think because there have been more unjust laws, mm-hmm. laws that that would be unjust that would not be in accord with right reason and with the natural law, which I think can can present challenges for sure.
0: Well, I don't know if I mentioned this at the beginning, but you already celebrated the Red Masses for this year. So maybe people can put this on their calendar for next year. And I want to talk about that homily that you shared at that in the second half of this show. But before we do, what was the process for preparing for this homily?
1: You know what? I, I often begin weeks before the Red Mass because it's an important homily to deliver. And I have a lot of ideas and then I have to narrow down. The ideas into a particular theme or topic. And then I choose the readings accordingly. And as I mentioned, it's a votive mass of the Holy Spirit. So at the Red Mass, we're praying to the Holy Spirit, invoking the paraclete, the advocate, upon those who serve in the legal profession or in public office. So, so usually I bring in the Holy Spirit as part of the homily. But this year, I kind of focused in on the natural law and I've preached on that before in read mass homilies, but it's mm-hmm. been a couple, a few years, but I really wanted to focus on that. So in those weeks preceding, I was reading a lot of articles and different things just to kind of get some ideas of what I should preach about, read some good authors, consulted the catechism of the Catholic church and, and which I usually do. And then I chose the readings accordingly. I chose the first reading from the book of Exodus, the Ten Commandments. Hmm. I think I did that several years ago to red hmm. Mass as well, but it's always good to be reminded of the Ten Commandments. Sure. And then I chose a very interesting passage from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 2, where he explicitly talks about the law of God written in the human heart. Really, it's the most explicit reference in Scripture to natural law. And it was very interesting because I thought, well, I definitely want to use that if I'm going to be preaching about natural law. But when I looked in the lectionary, that is not there. Hmm. They have part of Romans chapter two, but not the particular sentence or a few sentences where St. Paul is writing about the natural law. So I, I looked in the lectionary, no Sunday reading, no weekday readings, or special readings for special masses appears nowhere huh. in the lectionaries. I couldn't believe it. I never realized that, that that important verse is not appear at any of our lectionaries. So I preached on it anyway. Yeah. And I use pa- that passage from Romans chapter two, which is, was quite a lengthy reading, but I'll get to it as we discuss the homily. So you see how it flows.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. I'm curious how you look up when a verse is used in the lectionary. Is there
1: well in the back of the lectionary they give the all the books of the Bible and and, and chapters and verses and where you can find it in the lectionary. So okay. I just looked in the back, the index, looked under Romans, saw there was some of chapter two, but not all of chapter two. Yeah. And particularly not the part that I was preach wanted to preach about, which I did preach about.
0: All right. Well I'm excited to hear about it. Uh, just a reminder though that you can find past episodes of this show. In fact, we've talked about the Red Mass in the past, or we've talked about canon law in the past. So you can find that at spokestreet.com/slash askbishop. There's also a form there that you can submit your question. And Bishop will share some highlights from his homily at the Red Mass coming up on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.
1: What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit, member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives with products, services, and education. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it back to our members. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.
0: Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with Bishop talking about the red mass that he celebrated in both sides of the diocese, one in South Bend, one in Fort Wayne, to celebrate and pray for those in the legal profession. And you mentioned the reading from St. Paul was part of your homily. Did you mention the gospel
1: that you The chose gospel for that? was was from St. John and okay. it's the part it's from the votive mass of the Holy Spirit. Okay. It's one of the gospels you can choose. And I really began the homily talking about that. As I said, it's about the Red Mass is invoking the Holy Spirit upon those in the legal profession. And I said to the congregation, we do so with faith in what Jesus said in the gospel. And that particular gospel, Jesus told the disciples that he would ask the the Father, and the Father would give them another advocate Mm -hmm. to be with them always, the spirit of truth. And Jesus said in the gospel that the world cannot accept this spirit of truth because it neither sees nor knows it. And I think those are rather disconcerting words, that the world cannot accept the spirit of truth. And I explained to the uh, assembly that we must understand here in John's gospel and other places in John's gospel, when he speaks of the world, John often is referring to humanity as it is alienated from God. So the world, humanity as alienated from God. So if one is alienated from God, one cannot accept the spirit of truth. Those alienated from God reject his revelation and are really spiritually blind. But Jesus assures his disciples that they... They will know the spirit of truth because the spirit will be with them and in them. And that's kind of something to meditate on. The spirit will be with them and in them. Mm. And as disciples of Jesus, we can have this confidence that the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, whom we received in baptism and confirmation, is with us and in us. We only need to open our minds and hearts to his gifts, the sevenfold gifts and the Holy Spirit's guidance in the truth. So with that as an introduction to my homily, notice Jesus speaking of the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth. I got into the whole notion of truth. Mm -hmm. And this gets in, as you'll hear, I, This was how I moved into the theme of natural law. And truth is a very controversial topic today. People refer to his or her truth, my truth, your truth. And of course, that's relativism. And relativism is rampant in our culture today. It's no wonder that our society is so polarized culturally and politically. Because we have this relativistic individualism, Mm. and that judges that every individual is the source of his or her own values. And that's very dangerous. It's Mm. dangerous for the future of our democracy. It's dangerous for our social well-being. It's dangerous for social peace, especially when there's no consensus regarding moral truth. We see this. We see, for example, the great divide among Americans on the issue of abortion and on many other issues it was important i thought that i would mention the supreme court decision dobbs versus jackson back in june which overturned roe v wade so at the red mass i talked about this i said we really rejoice you know that this historic error was corrected this supposed constitutional right to abortion and the majority on the Supreme Court, correctly, rightly, found that Roe v. Wade departed from the text of the Constitution and from valid precedents. Then I said that from a Catholic perspective, the primary problem with Roe v. Wade was that it departed from natural justice. Okay, yes, it departed from the Constitution, Mm -hmm. but it, Departed from something even uh, more fundamental, right. natural justice, the truth revealed by God about the dignity of every human person from the moment of conception. So Roe v. Wade discarded the fifth commandment of the Decalogue, thou shalt not kill. And when you think about that commandment, that's not just a commandment that God revealed to Moses on Mount Sinai, it's a norm of natural justice written in the human heart. It's part of the natural law. Mm -hmm. In this light, I said, and I've said this in many talks uh, the past several months, the Dobbs decision was a great judicial victory, but it was not a cultural victory. It was a judicial victory for sure. Roe v. Wade was, I mean, the Supreme Court rightly judged that Roe v. Wade was an exercise of raw judicial power that had taken away the right of the legislature and the people in our democratic republic to protect innocent human life. But it wasn't a cultural victory, mm-hmm. you know. Just, just think about the angry and vicious reactions in much of the media protests in the streets, efforts in many states, even in the U.S. Congress to legalize abortion on demand. So in a democracy in which the the majority rules almost absolutely, norms of natural justice can still be violated. Mm -hmm. I mean, the majority can be wrong. Mm -hmm. Majority can favor abortion and legal abortion. Just because the majority thinks that way doesn't mean it's right. Right. And of course, we have states, we'll have states like our own, like Indiana, that will mostly defend justice for the unborn, but other states, many other states will not. Mm-hmm. The right to life can and still will be denied for the unborn. And that's in the name of a distorted notion of freedom. Freedom as absolute autonomy. Mm-hmm. And this happens when culture, in our case, Western culture, is is untethered from its roots in the moral truths which previously guided it. Truths that are pursued on the wings of faith and reason, the norms of justice expressed in the word of God who imprinted them in the hearts of those who created in his image and likeness. So you can see where I'm getting to the natural law. And then... I talked about the Red Mass, the second reading was from chapter 2 of St. Paul's letter to the Romans, very famous, a warning about God's judgment based on the law. And when you read that chapter, St. Paul talks about how the Jewish people who received the law from Moses will be judged in accordance with that law. And he says, those who observe the law will be justified. Mm -hmm. But then you say, okay, but what about the Gentiles? The Greeks who don't have the law, Mm -hmm. that was revealed to Moses. They didn't have the Ten Commandments. St. Paul wrote the following. And this is the key sentence that is not in the lectionary, but it's so important. St. Paul wrote, the Gentiles show that the demands of the law are written in their hearts. Mm -hmm while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even defend them on the day of judgment. See, clearly there were Gentiles who observed the prescriptions of the law, despite having no explicit knowledge of the Ten Commandments. And that's because there is a natural moral awareness like I was just talking about, the norms of natural justice that we know by the light of reason, we know them by the light of reason, we know by the light of reason that killing innocent people is wrong. So this text from chapter two of the letter to the Romans is very important for the church's teaching on natural law. So I, I then, in the red mass talked a little bit about the church's teaching. There is a real possibility for human beings of different cultures, religions, and traditions to discern good and evil, the fundamental principles and norms for moral behavior. Now, this has become increasingly difficult with the spread of a culture that limits rationality reason to the positive sciences and abandons the moral life to relativism. In other words, the idea that, okay, the only things we can know for sure by reason are things we know by the empirical, by empirical data, by the scientific method, etc. And they, but they don't recognize truth beyond that. Mm-hmm. So they abandoned the moral life to relativism. Okay, what's moral or immoral, that's your judgment. That's total subjectivism. Church disagrees with this. The church insists on the natural capacity of human beings to obtain by reason, by reason, the knowledge of the fundamental norms of justice in a conformity with human nature and the dignity of the human person. Now, to be honest, and the church teaches this as well, This natural capacity of humans is wounded by sin. Obviously, this is evident in history. It's evident in our society today, especially. And that's why the Catechism says, and I quote, the precepts of natural law are not perceived by everyone clearly and immediately. Hmm. Now we get to the first reading. I worked backwards. Uh I started with the gospel and the second reading, the first reading, the 10 commandments. Uh Okay. It was a passage from Exodus Uh 10 commandments. We call the Decalogue. The 10 commandments were a gift from God, a light offered to the people of Israel and to the world so that we can better perceive the precepts of natural law. Mm -hmm. We can know them by reason, but because of sin and our natural capacity being wounded by sin we have this revelation of the ten commandments so the christian tradition sees in the ten commandments a privileged and always valid expression of the natural law there's a great quote from saint augustine he wrote god wrote on the tables of the law what men did not read in their hearts. Hmm. So basically, sinful humanity needed this revelation to have a complete and certain understanding of the natural law. There's another great quote that I used in the homily on this, St. Bonaventure. He wrote, a full explanation of the commandments of the Decalogue became necessary in the state of sin because the light of reason was obscured and the will had gone astray Hmm. of course we see this light of reason obscured today and people especially young people led astray by various ideologies currents of relativism secularism materialism and really these things abound in our culture today places like hollywood or in the media, even in corporate America, Mm -hmm. our schools, especially many colleges and universities, Mm -hmm. relativism abounds, secularism. And at the same time, we have this decline in religious faith and practice Mm -hmm. in the United States. And with that decline, we also see this corresponding crisis of moral culture Many people really, I mean, ask a young person, you know, how many have really even learned or heard of the Ten Commandments? Have they been taught the Ten Commandments? And if they have been, they may still be skeptical Mm -hmm. regarding their truth because of the cultural influences that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. These influences that question or deny the existence of objective moral truth and moral law. So the church, this is really a big challenge. We face cultural pressures from those who view our teachings as an abrogation of freedom Mm -hmm. or as an imposition of the church upon free society. Just think about our teachings on sexuality, marriage, gender, Mm -hmm. abortion, euthanasia, assisted suicide. Now we respond, schisms, and say that freedom should not be reduced to individual autonomy. Our nobility as human beings doesn't come from our capacity to choose Mm. because we can choose evil. Evil's not very noble. (laughs) Our nobility comes from our capacity to choose wisely, to choose to live or to live according to the choice of what is good, which is really to obey the law of God written in our hearts, Mm -hmm. including the 10 commandments. When we choose to disobey the moral law, we won't flourish as human beings. And then similarly in this, I pointed out to all in the legal profession and the public officials at the Red Mass when political society and civil law disregard essential truths about the human person and about the common good of society, we won't flourish as a society. We won't flourish as a nation. The Catechism teaches that the natural law provides the indispensable moral foundation for building the human community and provides the necessary basis for the civil law. Mm-hmm. So I finished my Red Mass homily by encouraging all those who attended as disciples of Christ, and I use the words of St. John Paul II, encouraging them to defend objective moral norms as John Paul said, the unshakable foundation and solid guarantee of a just and peaceful human coexistence and hence of genuine democracy. And John Paul taught that a climate of moral relativism is incompatible with democracy. So one of the great and important tasks of the church today is to remind everyone of the essential bond between freedom and truth. Yes, we rightly rejoice in the Supreme Court decision, Dobbs versus Jackson, but I hope, and I said to the congregation, I hope we'll someday rejoice in a new culture of life and civilization of love. And the Ten Commandments are a good place to start Mm -hmm. as we seek to bring about a renewal of society, which will only happen with a renewal of moral goodness, solidarity, and genuine freedom in our country. My homily is well-received. It was a very small congregation, maybe, I don't know, 30 or 40 people in the Cathedral of Mecca Conception in Fort Wayne, but at the Basilica of the Sacred Heart at Notre Dame, it was full, hundreds, and I was so happy with that. and. Of course, they have the law school, so there were a right. lot of law school professors, a ton of law school students, political science students, and afterwards we had a reception. And the St. Thomas More Society at the Notre Dame Law School student club sure. invited me to come and give a talk. Now this was getting late, yeah. I had to drive back. To, so we had the mass at five fifteen, we had the reception, my talk at seven thirty, and I didn't prepare a lot. It was about they asked for a talk on canon law, especially about Holy Communion. I said, I was happy to do that. So I was thinking, okay, that'll be good. There'll be 15 or 20 students. Well, I walked into the hall. There were 200, I think, 200 (laughs) students. So I was like, oh my goodness, I should have prepared more, but it was great. I was able to share that topic and then they had a ton of questions and, and I was so edified. I was like, wow, they gave me so much hope because these young people, these law school students at Notre Dame they are really just are very committed to the faith. And all that I talked about, about natural law and and what I preached about in the Red Mass homily, and then when I talked about the church's teaching regarding Holy Communion, they were very, uh, and they're very bright. They had a lot of good, Mm -hmm. challenging questions. But I was just, even though it was really late getting back to Fort Wayne when I was driving back, I was feeling so good. I said, this gives me hope for the future. Good, Yeah.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that with us. Just a reminder, I guess next year, it's usually around September for the Red first Masses. first week
1: of October. Usually, okay, yeah, all right. Because that's then, when the traditionally that's when the the courts began their sessions. And I okay. think they still do. I think our Supreme Court begins in October. Yeah, all right. Well,
0: great. We'll also share in the the description here, uh, the show description that you can either find if you're listening on the podcast or. Uh, if you're listening on radio, you can find it at spokestreet.com slash askbishop. You can find this episode and look up. And we'll have links to the today's Catholic article on the Red Mass as well. And Bishop, are you ready for our, our second lawyer joke? Yes. Uh, I mentioned this is Forgot a little, about that. little more in line with uh, the faith as well. This is what do you call a priest that becomes a lawyer? I don't know. A father-in-law.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! I thought father, and then I didn't think of that. That's great. That's great. All right. Well, thank you again, Bishop. Does that come from Sebastian? That joke?
0: No, no. I I found this online, but he, <laughs> I, I should have him make
1: up a joke. See with it. Uh, good. Good.
0: All right. Well, can we get your Episcopal blessing before we go, Bishop?
1: Yes. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle.
0: Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.
1: This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.